You're listening to Double Edged Sword, the podcast channel of Pastor Kilgo, where we dig into the Holy Scriptures to be instructed in the truth, to stand in the light, and have eternal life. May you be richly blessed by the Lord and His Word. Hey, dear saints, and welcome back to Double-Edged Sword. It's been a while since we've been on, but we're back now um, after a brief respite. So we're starting back with uh, the Sermon for Trinity 10 and the readings that go along with that. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Reading from the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 7. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, stand in the gate of the Lord's house, And proclaim there this word, and say, Hear the word of the Lord, all you men of Judah, who enter these gates to worship the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Amend your ways and your deeds, and I will let you dwell in this place. Do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly execute justice with one another, If you do not oppress the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not go after other gods to your own harm, then I will let you dwell in this place, in the land that I gave of old to your fathers forever. Behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, We are delivered, only to go on doing all these abominations. Has this house, which is called by name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A reading from Romans, chapters 9 and 10. What shall we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it, that is, a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame." Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke the 19th chapter. And when Jesus drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you, because you did not know the time of your visitation. 
And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And he was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him, but they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were hanging on his words. This is the gospel of our Lord. Let us pray. O God, you declare your almighty power above all in showing mercy and pity. Mercifully grant us such a measure of your grace that we may obtain your gracious promises and be made partakers of your heavenly treasures. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. In the name of Jesus, Amen. Dear saints, we find ourselves in Holy Week again. It's mere moments after the crowd has seen the Lord coming into Jerusalem riding on a donkey, and they cry out, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And as our Lord comes into this city, he weeps and gives a haunting prophecy. Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children with you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you, because you did not know the time of your visitation. Our Lord's prophecy here tells of a particular future event, namely the destruction of Jerusalem and the horrors that would ensue at the hands of the Romans on 10 August 70 A.D. With these words, then, our Lord Jesus is both warning the people of Israel as well as showing himself to be the Messiah promised from of old. Christ very clearly stands in the line of the Old Testament prophets as their fulfillment, and here we see him doing the very same thing. He's warning the people of a coming physical destruction to warn of the greater spiritual and eternal destruction which will come upon them unless they repent. And so we have the prophet Isaiah going naked and barefoot as he prophesies that the king of Assyria would lead Egypt away captive. The prophet Jeremiah hung a chain upon his neck as he prophesied that the king of Babylon would bring all the nations under himself. And we have the prophet Ezekiel drawing the city Jerusalem on a brick and then destroying it as he prophesies that the Jews would be led away captive to Babylon. And in all of these instances, including the prophecy from Christ, the warning is given for more than just the immediate hearers, many of whom refuse to hear it. The warning is given and recorded also for the instruction of all people across all time. As St. Paul reminded us last week, now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. These things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction, on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. There is a pattern for us to discern in these sorts of prophecies, that the Lord is not bluffing with his promises. There will be an end. The word of God cannot be ignored without consequences. Your lifestyle, how you live your life, matters. On the last day, we will be relieved of all false accusations and hatred of the world as we are delivered to our Father in heaven who has purchased us as his own at the cost of the blood of his beloved Son. And we have mixed together here both hope and warning. Dear saints, do not go the way of Jerusalem, the city of hypocrisy. It calls itself the city of peace. 
It cries out for peace at the coming of Jesus into the city, but it does not know the way that makes for peace, nor does it know the time of its visitation. And so the Lord weeps over Jerusalem, because he can see clearly her heart. Thus, what happens to Jerusalem physically at the hands of Rome is not only the manifestation of the Lord's wrath on their unbelief and rejection of Christ, but also a physical and visible example to the whole of creation, including us, of what will happen to the world on the last day. Therefore, we do well to not let that day take us unaware. Even though we don't know exactly when that day will come upon us, we nevertheless know that as the days grow closer, the world will grow more hostile towards the church. We learn that things in the world will get progressively worse as we move closer and closer to the end. It's not going to get better. We are not going to win over the culture and usher in a just kingdom. We indeed fight for compassion and decency in the world. We speak to our neighbors and warn them of the coming judgment. We confess the truth of the scriptures regardless of whether the world likes them. We engage in a steadfast public witness against the depravity of moral iniquities of our culture. But in the end, we know where it's all going. We know how it all ends. The world is fading. It will not last. But we have never belonged to the world, and we never will. And as these things progress, we do well to ask ourselves a very difficult question. As we see the world continuing to spiral into more and more unbelief, as we see the church after church bow to the pressures of society on a myriad of topics, as we see Christians more and more abandon the glory of God for the idols of the world and exchange the truth of the scriptures for the lie of the serpent, as we see all of this happening, have you mourned? And if you have mourned, what have you mourned for? Was it for the countless lost souls, all those myriads of neighbors we will not see in the resurrection and now belong to the kingdom of the devil? Or was it for the loss of prestige of the church, which it used to have, the loss in church income, the loss of lots of people in the gathering, the loss of lots of young people? Did you mourn for them or for yourself? And if we're honest, we know whom we have mourned for. Repent, therefore, dear saints, repent and turn away from your sin and back to God. Repent for longing for the things of the world and neglecting the things of God. Repent and trust in the forgiveness which your Lord Jesus has won for you by his death and resurrection, and which he freely and generously bestows upon you through his service to you in his church. This is the center of Christianity. It is the life of you, the baptized, the daily drowning of the old man and the rising of the new man. Remember what we confess in the small catechism? What does such baptizing with water indicate? It indicates that the old Adam in us should daily, by contrition and repentance, be drowned and die with all sins and evil desires, and that a new man should daily emerge and arise to live before God in righteousness and purity forever. Daily. Not just while you're young. Not just while you're in confirmation or adult instruction. Not just while you're teaching your own children daily. Your old sinful flesh is always trying to climb out of the pit that he's been drowned in to keep you from preparing for the return of Christ on the last day. Do not let him, dear saints. Daily prepare. Daily repent. Daily trust in Christ and his mercy. But how do you prepare for the coming of the last day? How do you prepare for the end of the world as we know it? 
Well, just as the church doesn't celebrate like the world or mourn like the world or live like the world because we do not belong to the world, so too we do not prepare for the end like the world. You can find all sorts of things in the world promising to help you prepare for the end of the world. Buckets of food, gallons of water, basements stocked with all sorts of clothing and goods and guns. But we aren't trying to survive some sort of zombie apocalypse or nuclear fallout. We, as the church, know we're already in the apocalypse. We're already in the end days. We have been since Christ's ascension. We're not preparing to survive through it. We're preparing to stay faithful in its midst. In the same way that a soldier prepares for war or an athlete for a competition, we train for the task ahead of us. We aren't preparing for a zombie horde. We aren't preparing for bombs. We're preparing for a world which is hostile to the truth, to Christianity, to biblical virtue. We're preparing for the assault of the devil, and we're preparing for the return of Christ. We're preparing for war and possible jailing, torture, ridicule, and the stripping of our liberties, properties, and families from us. We look back to Jerusalem and the horrors found there, and we see for the church a very possible future. And so we do well to ask if we're ready for that. And the first step is making sure that we're ready is to stand in repentance and to never move from that spot. To never think that there's a time when we don't need the Lord's mercy and kindness and forgiveness. To never think that there's a moment of our lives unstained by sin. That's where we start. Because to stand there is to turn our eyes away from ourselves and to Christ. To abide in the means of grace and to trust in God to provide what we need and see us through, regardless of the circumstance. So that in any and every circumstance, we can face plenty and hunger, abundance and need through Christ who strengthens us. But right next to repentance is the other chief step of preparation, and that is training our minds. Training ourselves to be ready to confess the truth. Training ourselves to be ready to give a defense to any who ask us regarding the hope we have in Christ. Training ourselves to be ready to have our health, safety, comfort, property, freedom, and perhaps even our family taken from us because of Christ and his word. And in order to do this, in order to train your mind in this way, you need to learn things by heart. You need to plant things so firmly into your hearts and minds that you cannot forget them even if you tried. Because what has been planted into your heart and mind cannot be taken from you by force. They can take your life, your goods, your fame, your child, your wife, but they cannot take the word of God, and they cannot take the Lord's kingdom. A recent example of this was a group of Chinese Christians who were jailed on account of their faith, and though they had no Bibles, no hymnals, no resources at their disposal, they had memorized the scriptures and the liturgy and the hymns of the church, and so they would sit in jail and have church through the jail cells by memory, singing, praying, reciting scripture, reciting the creeds, preaching, and the jailers could do nothing. They couldn't take that from them. And so, as we prepare for the return of our Lord and the fight of faith that lays ahead of us, we must diligently work to commit to memory these things. At the very least, you ought to have memorized one of the settings of the divine service, the catechism, and a myriad of Bible passages, and once that's down, add hymns and more Bible. You ought to know by heart the liturgy, not because it fell out of heaven, but because it has shown itself to be an ancient and faithful means of conveying the core of the faith, and because it is the word of God set to form in music. And so it has been handed down from generation to generation for hundreds of years. Memorize it. 
meditate on it, rejoice in it, keep it and hold it and love it. It unites you to God, but also to the saints who have gone before you across languages and cultures. It is food and strength, not only for today and facing your neighbor and co-worker and friend and fellow student, but it's also for prison. Start by trying to sing it or parts of it without looking. Hold it in your mind and you will see that it will fill your mind with the things of God instead of the things of the world. It will deepen your understanding of the words of Scripture and the ordering of the liturgy will start to make more sense to you. And if you hold these things in your mind and carry them about, no one can take them from you. No one can rip them away, but they will become a part of you and change you from the inside out. They will be with you at all times, whether it's a day of rejoicing or mourning, of ease or trial. And should the world decide to put you in prison, you can go to jail singing the Kyrie and reciting the Creed. And if we return to the days of old and they decide to burn you for your faith, you can sing the Gloria and the Agnus Dei and the Nucdimitus while they do it and die a Christian. And you need the Catechism, because these are not just words for children. And it's not just for rote memory without understanding. You need more than the ideas in the catechism. You need their words in order, in context, one after another. You need this because you have, if you have only the ideas apart from the words, they will become corrupted and confused, and they will not serve you in battle. But the ideas with the words are a mighty shield against all the temptations from the world and the devil. The words with the ideas give you a framework to understand your life, as it moves back and forth between the commandments, lived under God, to whom you pray, and who strengthens you and feeds you through the sacraments. And then you tie to that framework of the Catechism Bible passages, which teach and expound on those parts. Bible passages on the first commandment, and the second article, and the fourth petition, and baptism, and confession, and the sacrament of the altar— you need passages which teach you what it means to lead a holy Christian life, passages on what it means to confess before neighbor and friend, passages which bring comfort in the midst of suffering and trial and persecution, and especially do you need passages on the death and resurrection of Christ for you and the promise of eternal life in him. Now, how do you do all this? It can seem like a lot, but it's simple if you take it one step at a time. Start by coming to church every week especially when it's hard. Learn the liturgy by heart with the rest of the saints. Be intentional about learning it, and you'll be surprised to see that it comes with relative ease, but only if you're consistent. Add daily readings from the Bible to your routine. Don't skip a day. Don't say, I'll just do it tomorrow, because you won't. It doesn't have to be a lot, just some Bible every day. And after you read, pray. Pray for the saints. Pray for our world and culture. Pray for your family and city. Pray for the church and her pastors. Recite the Lord's Prayer, the Creed, and a part of the Catechism, and sing a hymn or just a stanza. A few minutes of your time, but it makes all the difference in eternity. Do this day in and day out. Don't stop. Don't let the devil convince you that it's enough or that it's boring or that it's unnecessary. Don't let the world convince you that other things are more important. Don't let your flesh convince you that you're too tired. You need these things over and over to train you for battle and indeed the battle is upon us then and this is perhaps the most important piece make your children do this with you train them up in the pattern of sound words of pure doctrine of liturgy and hymns of a faith simple enough for them to believe and deep enough for them to never grow out of of songs and music that are beyond their own 21st century american culture 
and which connect them to a family they will meet in the resurrection. Give them something to hold on to, even if their houses are burned and their hands are tied. Prepare them so that even if they are taken from you in this life, you will receive them back in the eternity of the resurrection. Let them sing the Gloria at the kitchen table and the Sanctus while they battle monsters, and encourage them to play church in the basement and to preach to their dog. Recite and pray with them with the joy and vigor of a redeemed saint of God, and show them that the catechism isn't just for children as you model a life lived in grace with repentance and forgiveness at its center. It's scary. It's frightening, I know. I have the same fears, the same temptations, and like you, I'd rather not think about it. Like you, I'm tired at the end of the day, and the morning seems too short. But it will pass. Do the work of God while it is day, for night is coming when no one can work. Don't quit fighting. Don't give up the battle. Don't stop preparing. If you fall, get up. If you lapse, start over again. Keep running the race. Keep confessing the faith. Keep fighting the good fight. It will eventually end. The golden evening brightens in the west. Soon, soon, to faithful warriors cometh rest. But in the meantime, know that those who have gone before you are cheering you on in the fight. They persevered, and so can you. So when the fight is fierce and the warfare strong, steals on our ears the distant triumph song and hearts are brave again and arms are strong. And all the while rejoice in this, that Jesus knows what is coming. He knows what awaits you and the path you must trod, but he knows also the prize. He is the one who makes peace between you and God. He is the one who brings you that peace in word and sacrament. He is the one who knows our every weakness and trial and temptation and so comforts and sustains us even here in this veil of tears. And he delights especially to give you his gifts through your work of memorizing the Bible and the ancient sacred texts. Let us not grow weary of our preparation or of our fight, dear saints, but let us run with perseverance the race set before us, eyes fixed on Jesus, who has founded and perfected our faith, knowing he will come and bring us to be with him forever. And so we pray, come, Lord Jesus, quickly. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening to Double-Edged Sword. If you appreciate the channel, please consider supporting it by going over to my Patreon page, which you can find linked in the description. You can also find other content on the YouTube channel. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time.